When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your move. Record. Welcome to Crime Wire, a new a program dedicated to bringing attention to unsolved crimes and educating the public about various types of crimes and how to avoid becoming a victim. If you'd like to submit a case to Crime Wire or suggest a topic for a future show, please email us at thenewcrimewire at gmail.com. My name is Denny Griffin, and on today's show, my co-host Delilah Jones and I will discuss the Q Center for Missing Persons of which Delilah is the South Carolina Outreach Coordinator. So, Delilah, uh, why don't we just get started and let uh, you inform the audience uh, a little bit about Q, about the background, and what their mission is. Sure, Denny. Um, Q Center for Missing Persons. Q stands for Community United Effort, C-U-E. And the organization has been around for a little over 20 years, and the founder, Monica Kaysen, was approached um, to, to do some work with, this, with another organization at the time. And the person that was in charge of the other organization decided to dissolve it, and she handed things over to Monica, and uh, to her surprise, and Monica's response, well, for me to do something like this, we're going to have to have a whole community united effort. And she's like, well, there you go. There's the name of your organization. <laughs> so I, I love to hear Monica tell that story because it, it just goes to show you how people sort of fall into things. And, you know, 20-some years later, she's still at the top of her game. Now, uh, what is your job as an outreach coordinator? What exactly do you do? And and your and your uh, your other peers who uh, who have those positions. Right. The position started. Oh, I'm guessing about four, maybe five years ago. And what it came down to is that we were getting so many cases. And one person just cannot handle the research on the cases, coordinating searches and advocating for the families. So she decided that in order to keep the organization growing and keep it to where if something happens to her, it continues on. It doesn't stop with her, Um, even though she is the integral part of this organization, it's made up of you know, thousands of volunteers across the country. And we'd love to have coordinators in each state because it takes a load off. Um, what 
we do is wear many hats. Whatever is needed to do, we, you know, we um, consult with the families. Some some people actually work the cases and become caseworkers. Um, other people do research. I'm also part of the research team, which researches tips. Um, we do have a tip line, and we get tips about all missing persons, not just about missing persons who are registered with our organization. So in order to know what to do with that tip, we have to verify things. And so that's that's a pretty big responsibility as well, to know what to do with the tip and how to process it from that point. Now, uh, obviously, Q deals with missing persons cases. So uh, can you walk us through the progression of a case? Let's suppose uh, I have a family member go missing. Uh, uh, my daughter, who is 18 years old, disappears. Um, and I want to get Q involved. First of all, how do I reach Q? Is there a website I would go to or is there a phone number I would call or how how would I make contact? Yes, there is a website and the website is ncmissingpersons.org. Um and there is a phone number. There's actually two phone numbers, 910-343-1131 or 910-232-1687. And those are 24 they're manned 24 hours. Someone will answer or get back to you pretty quickly. Um, but to answer your question about if if my child went missing, what, what do you do? This is where the problem is, is the public in general doesn't know what to do. What do you do first? And most people, you know, get out in the neighborhood and start putting out flyers and, and take things uh, into their own hands. The first thing you have to do is call the police. You have to have a police report. Um, this is where another problem area in some jurisdictions come in because depending on the circumstances, now children, they tend to take very seriously and act very quickly. When you're getting into teenagers, runaways, adults, and especially adult males, um, many jurisdictions don't want to take the report right away. They they don't put a lot of priority on these people because, oh, they've run away before they'll come back again. Or, you know, in the case of, of missing adults, it's, well, adults have a right to go missing. They don't have to tell you where they're going. And this, again, causes a lot of, of grief for the family who may know otherwise, who may say, okay, this this may have happened, but this is totally out, out of character of this person. Please take me seriously. One thing I want to get across to listeners, and this is so very important, if this happens to you, there is no law that says that you have to wait 24, 48, 72 hours to take a missing persons report. Your law enforcement jurisdiction must take your report. And if they don't, then, you know, we, we have to go back to square one. And that's where a good advocate comes in. So um, 
because there is no specific law uh, about this time period, the, the delay before a report is taken, the uh, the reporting person can more or less insist or demand that they take a report at the time? You can. Again, it just depends on who you're dealing with as to how far that demand is going to go. And, you know, we've run across this in a lot of different places, which is why we try to address it. And especially, um, you know, when we're in the company of law enforcement and have to deal with law enforcement agencies, that's one of the things that, um, you know, we we have to get that message out to law enforcement that you, you really have to take that report. You know, nine times out of ten, we're hoping that it goes nowhere. And that would be the ideal situation. It goes nowhere. The person comes home, throw the paper away. Okay, the report's nothing. It doesn't matter. But they don't know. They can't make that call based on, you know, someone who comes, let's say, into the department who is distraught, who is emotional. And it's hard to get hard evidence from someone in that state so go ahead and take the report and let's start working on it right away it's when we have to wait is is the most dangerous time and and it's very true and you know this as being you know former law enforcement the first 48 hours are crucial absolutely and um i've also dealt with with people um from the crime lawyer perspective and uh, as a private investigator um, who get very frustrated with, with this delay. Cause as you said, several, many departments have this apparently internal policy that they will not take a, uh, a report for so many hours. And it's very frustrating to the person trying to report the missing person because um, based on my experience, the uh, obviously the, the people are, are upset. The reporting person is upset. A loved one has has disappeared, gone missing, and to them, even though the police may not take it as a, you know, they might say if especially like an adult or a teenager, oh, it's just a runaway or it's just uh, somebody out on a maybe went on a little binge, you know, with his buddies or something, um, and. Yet the reporting person thinks different. They think the circumstances are different and that there's something, uh, you know, it's more serious than the police, uh, the amount of attention the police are willing to pay to it. So it is a, a very frustrating part of the uh, the whole episode is that initial disappearance, the person gone missing. And like you say, if it's a, a young child, uh, you get much better response, I think, from the uh, from the authorities. But let's assume now that the the report has been made to the police and been accepted or taken by the police. Um, hopefully, the the reporting person um, would seek other help, such as Q. Uh, so when they call Q and they say I've reported to the police that my you know so and so is is missing, what happens then? What does Q do when they get that call and it's been reported? There is a police report on file. How would how would you progress from that? Well, what we need at that point is for the family to either make a phone call 
or you can also go on the website to file a registration. The, the, the case has to be registered with the organization before we can really get involved, whether, you know, whether we're advocating with police for you or whether we're coordinating a search or researching the evidence. We have to have the report or the registration. Um, and there's a, a, a whole list of questions that need to be answered, whether, you know, about the person themselves, what they were wearing, jewelry, so forth, dental records, if you have them, um, vehicle information. So there's, there's, it's an easy process. It's not real hard. And a lot of times we can walk you through that if, if you're, you know, too emotional and you just can't do this, one of us will walk you through how to register the case. Um, and then at that point, we can review the case and see where it sits. We can look at the evidence and then proceed from there with what do we need to do next. And then a lot of times we work closely with law enforcement to to make that determination. So once the reporting person is reported to the police and then, then to queue and registered the case and provided the information with Q. Q can then uh, interact with the police on behalf of the uh, the reporting person, do an advocacy uh, thing. And because uh, I imagine there are certain cases in, in which the relationship between the reporting person and the police agency may be strained, or the emotional aspect of it on the on the part of the reporting person. Um, and I think especially if that initial call or report that the uh, was filed, if there was a, if there were issues or if the reporting person felt the police were trying to slough it off or not taking it seriously, uh, there could be a communication issue between those two. So Q could actually fill that uh, and 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 act on behalf of the reporting person with law enforcement, would that be a correct uh, assumption? Right, right. We we try very hard to keep very good relationship with police departments anywhere across the country um, just for that fact because a lot of times, you know, they, they're they human too and they do a wonderful job. And, and the, the agencies that we have good relationships with, you can't be without them. I mean, they... they they are it. And it's a lot of times it's them who brings us in on a case, um, whether it be for a search or whether it be, you know, a, a, an, if they if the family needs an advocate or more research just, to, you know, to be done that they can't handle. That's where we fill that gap. And um, it, it's very important, too, for listeners to know that once you file that report, also – Make sure before you leave the department uh, that the information is is loaded into CODIS and NCIC, which are national databases. I had a an, another person who is an executive director of another, actually another missing persons organization in Texas, and she called me. She had a situation where a girl went missing in Texas, but she was from South Carolina. And one, you know, in talking with both police departments, 
the South Carolina said that they entered the information. Texas said it's not there. It's not in there. So they they couldn't proceed. They couldn't proceed on the information that she had. And so this went back and forth for 24 hours. And what we found out at the end of the day, her name was spelled wrong. <laughs> and and it, so, you know, luckily that one did, that case did have a, a good positive ending, but it could have been so much quicker. It really could have. Yeah. So this is, I, I bring that up because of the importance of making sure that that's done, especially if you feel like your loved one has, has gone out of state or been taken out of state. This is a national database that they're all going to use. And again, one jurisdiction may not proceed until they see that information in there. So it's really important to get that done or make sure it's done and done right. Yeah, accuracy is critical, right? Because if you're just uh, maybe a letter off or something, and like you said, the spelling of the name, that could mm-hmm. screw the whole thing up. It was one letter. One letter cost all those hours of grief for the family. Now, uh, we were talking a little bit about how the police might look at a, a missing person case and, you know, prioritize it or how, how seriously they take it. Once Q gets the case, uh, you were mentioning it, it's reviewed, the information's reviewed and evaluated. Um, are there any specific triggers for Q? I assume it would be similar to the police thinking and uh, in, in that a young child would probably, you know, be a real priority. Uh, because there's less chance it's a runaway that, uh, you know, or somebody just out on a, a drinking binge for an adult. Am I correct that the, the young child uh, would 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 automatically uh, kind of be a top priority because of the age? Yeah, children are for a lot of different reasons because they don't choose to go missing. They don't have the capability to choose. So they're, you know, they've either wandered off or they've been abducted or it could be, you know, a family custody issue. There's a lot of different scenarios that could play out in that situation. So, yes, children do end up taking top priority. Um, But one thing, you know, that I have learned over the years of being with Q is there's no judgment here. Um, What we find is a lot of times marginalized people don't get the priority that they deserve. Every person that goes missing is a human being. It doesn't matter if they're addicted to drugs. It doesn't matter if they're addicted to alcohol or if they're prostitutes or what their color, nationality, or religion is. It it doesn't matter. Um, We treat each case on its own. And with the information that we're given, um, you know, then we can move forward in the right direction. And once <clears throat> once you've established the the, uh, the case as a registered Q case, um, what do you? Uh, obviously, every case is different, but. Uh, do you put out flyers? You contact other police jurisdictions, other missing persons organizations. How do you go about getting the word out that that this person is missing? All of the above and social media. <laughs> social media has been just fabulous for missing persons cases and um, you know being able to get that information out to 
hundreds and thousands of people in a very quick manner. So social media has really, in 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 this realm, has really been excellent as far as uh, getting information out. But yes, we do make flyers. Um, you know, we we try to go back to where the person was last seen, uh, and and concentrate there, and then work out from there. Uh, as far as any coordinated search efforts, those are usually we're usually called in by the police department who is the jurisdiction of that particular case because you can't just you can't just put your boots on and go out in the woods. It doesn't work that way. And this is another thing that a lot of people don't understand is you have to have permissions, whether it's private property, county property, property is owned by somebody and you have to have the proper permissions. Um, you also in the case where if it's in a you know a rural wooded area you want to know the the lay of the land out there is there is it swampy is there a lot of water so that you know what type of equipment you're going to need what type of dogs you're going to need because the dogs all do different things people think you just bring dogs out and run them and if you have the wrong kind of dog that's trained in the wrong area, for instance, you know, you have um, dogs who can track live scent and you have dogs that track cadaver scent and, and drug dogs and, and they're trained to do something different. So you want to be sure that you have the proper dog. Um, so there's a lot of, a lot of things that go into preparing for a search. Uh now, where do you, the searchers come from? Are these all like on-call volunteers for Q, or do you have to recruit at the time for volunteers or some combination? No, we have we have trained searchers all over the country. Again, it depends on where the search is taking place as to, you know, what particular group may may come, and it's all volunteer. It's all volunteer. These people they don't get enough recognition for what they do because you have to think they've gone through hours and hours and hours of training to get their credentials, which have to be renewed on a regular basis. So not only do they do that, they also train their dog. They, you know, for different, like I just spoke about different, different things. So there again, there's hours and hours of training with a, with a dog and not not every searcher has a dog, but you know we we do use uh, canine search groups quite often. Um, but there's there's a lot that goes into their background that gives them the ability to be the experts on the ground. And once those searches are coordinated, you know she knows whether you need if you need dogs, if you need horses, if you need ATV vehicles, if you need boats, if you need people on the ground. Now, people on the ground, this is, we bring a lot of people from the community. You can you can volunteer to do a search. Um, you know, it's always, you have to register to do the search. You have to be registered and you have to sign in and because of, you know, all the insurance and liabilities of, of putting people on the ground out there and um it's it's pretty 
it's pretty gruesome sometimes. I mean the the <laughs> the terrain that, that I've been through. I've been through several searches, and I, I don't do it anymore. But yeah, it's brutal. <laughs> so you know. But then again, if you if you aren't in in the physical condition to be able to do the actual search, there's always something we'll make, we'll find something for volunteers to do because we have to feed the searchers. We have to feed the dogs. So that's another coordinated effort, getting food and, um, and getting water and all of the things that, that they would need to be able to replenish and get back out there. So logistics are an issue that has to be considered. And, you know, uh, listening to you talk here, I think a lot of us, a lot of the people who are not involved with Q, for example, or have not experienced a missing person uh, situation, uh, don't take into account the stuff that's involved in setting up a search. Uh, you know, like you say, you got to have uh, uh, people who are, trained searchers to a great degree, you know, people who can actually accomplish the job rather than all randomly, uh, random people off the street. So you, you have people who are uh, professionals uh, and then well-organized, like you say, you have to have the food and uh, refreshments and so forth to, for the uh, for the searchers. So it's, there's actually, I think, a lot more involved in setting up a search than, than the average person would think about. Oh, you're absolutely right, Denny. And this, to me, I think this is what sets Q apart from the rest is the fact that, that we do have the ability to do all this. And, you know, there again, I have got to give credit to Monica Case, and I've never seen anybody who can organize like she does. And it's, and it's amazing to me. I just sit back in awe and go, wow, I, I can't even organize my day that well, let alone, you know, hundreds of people on the ground. So, and it all comes together and it all works. And, Again, I think that sets us apart. I've, over the years that I've been involved, I've seen so many organizations pop up here and there. For and, and don't get me wrong, it's all good, but everybody has to realize what their potential is and and what their talents are. You know, some organizations are very good at getting out information. Some organizations are very good about. Um, advocating with law enforcement. Some are good at getting press. Um, but when you have it all, all in one organization like that, it's very unusual. And and we do. We have all of that in, in one organization. Um, so what happens is these organizations pop up and they realize, you know, okay, we can't do certain things. So they either diminish what they're their initial mission is, or they just, you know, fold up and go away. And that's happened a lot of times. And it's, you know, it's one of those issues that, that tugs at the heartstrings of everyone and everyone that I've come across anyway, wants to have some kind of involvement. And there are many, many, many ways that you can get involved without starting a whole new organization. So, it's good and it's bad. It, it has, you know, it has both sides to that story as well. 
Well, I'm just thinking now, uh, obviously, you know, volunteers are a great thing in this in the financial sense. You're not paying, you know, having a payroll uh, to meet every week or two weeks. But uh, there are certain expenses. There's, I mean, obviously food and, and, and soft drinks or water or whatever you have to buy if there's a search, uh, perhaps any type of uh, uh advertisement or promotional stuff to promote the, the group or promote the uh, organization or the website or whatever. Um, how does Q, how is Q funded? Do you get money from the government? Is it, uh, how does that work? No, we don't receive any money from the government and no one in the organization takes a salary. Every penny that goes into the organization is dedicated for the the search effort, we call it. And that could mean many things from, you know, again, coordinating the search, food, uh, lodging, gasoline. You know, we do reimburse um, our our search teams who come from a long distance they they're reimbursed for that and they're you know they are not charged for a hotel room some people pay it anyway i mean there's the the dedication is just absolutely amazing for these people um but we do fundraisers all throughout the year and then at our national conference that we have each march we do a lot of fundraising there we have auctions and um raffles and and different things there just to uh, you know to keep it all going and it's really kind of neat the families all want to do something you can't just work with a family and just say well you stay home and we'll call you when something happens it that's not going to work these families want to be there. They want to be doing something. So there again, you have to get very creative as what it is that you can have them do. So, you know, some families have been great at fundraising, just absolutely great. Other families are very good at coordinating food. Um, you know, we, we allow them to come to the staging area where, you know, everyone gathers for a search, but they're not – we don't send family members out on a search, obviously, um, but they want to be there. They want to be there, and, and that's very understandable. So, again, you have to be creative on how are you going to keep them busy so that they're not in the way, so to speak. Um, we mm-hmm. want them there, and, and we want them to be a part of it. So, there again, that's where a lot of support is needed, just to be there to listen to them, just to be there to talk with them um, so that they have as much information as they need that is going to satisfy them for that one day, just one day at a time. That's all we can do. Now, uh, just wondering, uh, uh, Lila, about the media. Uh, I'm assuming that some of these cases, at least the local media, uh, picks up on a, a missing person um, when they do, and if it's a Q registered case or Q's involved, is does Q ever deal with the media, or do you prefer the family does that, or how does how does that work? Is there any uh, interaction between Q and the media in these cases? Absolutely. Um, yeah, we have many local media contacts that follow around (laughs) they know they know where to find us for some reason they show up and um they um again media is media is a double-edged sword as well 
uh, of course, every family wants their child to be on Nancy Grace because, you know, that's national attention. But it doesn't always work in the way that you would like it to work. And I'll give you an example of that, and that's Brittany Drexel case. And it's, again, she's out of Rochester, New York, very close to you, who was in Myrtle Beach uh, against her parents' wishes to come to spring break and then disappeared while she was down here, which is where I live. And so I, you know, I'm very, very familiar with the case and I'm very close with the family. Um, The case did get a lot of national media attention, but I can tell you this, it really, it was good. And yet on the other side, it was not so good for the family because people tend to come out of the woodwork and start criticizing and, you know, looking into backgrounds that and pulling, you know, pulling the ghosts out of the closet, so to speak, which is ne- is just not necessary. You know, you have a family that's in, in trauma and I would, you would love to think that everyone in the country would be supportive of that family, but it's, it's just not true. So especially in some of the high profile national media cases, this, this happens a lot. And so then you have another dynamic that you have to deal with with this family when you're advocating. Yeah, the media, I certainly can see uh, how how they can be, you know, the good and bad, uh, pros and cons to it. And people in general, I'm assuming even, you know, the social media sites and so forth, I've, I'm on them from time to time and I see some of, uh, I mean, there are, we have some great, great, great people in this country, uh, you know, that that would do anything to help and so on and so forth. But there's a certain number of people who are not so great and, uh, you know, they can't wait for something to, to start rumors or, like you say, the criticism of uh, perhaps of the family or the situation. So, yeah, I can see where it is a, a, a double-edged sword. Um and I don't really know what you can do about it. People are people, and the press oh, is the press. I mean, it's 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 one of those things that we we try very hard to work with the families with. It's it is kind of like your media presence. Here's here's what you need to do. If this happens, here's what you say. So they're coached along the way, especially when they get into a situation like the Drexel case where, you know, they were everywhere in the media. And um, so, yes, we we do try to work with them as long as they're willing to be in the media. That's who we want out there. You know, we want that person's mother or father or sister or brother to to pull at the heartstrings of someone out there who knows because someone always knows what happened to that person. Always. Yeah. Now do you, are the majority, if you can, if you know, or can guess uh, an estimate, what would you say the, uh, the percentage of cases are that are of, uh, let's say, voluntary absences, the runaways, you know, somebody going out on a binge or whatever, um, versus the the missing person who, who's missing 
involuntarily, uh, such as a lost child or an abduction. Uh, any idea what the percentages are of those? I really have no idea, Denny. Um, you know, I wouldn't want to speak to statistics because I have no clue. But I can tell you that, especially with runaways, I think what we're seeing now and what everyone is realizing that runaways, they're either running away from something at home or they're running to something that looks better than home. Um and what we're seeing is a very high percentage now are being lured um, into human trafficking. There's, oh, I mean, boy. it has yeah. just absolutely exploded um, as a crime in our country and around the world. You know, people don't want to think about it being in your own backyard because, you know, you're a, you're a nice, stable family. Your children are doing great in school. They're, they're very stable. There's no issues but that's the kid for some reason. That's the kid that these people are targeting these days. And it, it, it's not the marginalized kids out there. It's not the necessarily the runaways. Of course, they're the easy targets. But for some reason, they want those type of kids. And what we're seeing is a, is a very large percentage in you know, younger adults that are over 18, maybe starting college, um, that's a very vulnerable, targeted position. Um, and in, in high schools, in middle schools, we're seeing it. And it's more of a grooming process, alluring. Um, it's not necessarily some, it's not someone coming down the street and putting you in a van and running off. That's not the way these these things are done. Um, the internet, social media, is again exploded. Um, you know, young people get on on specific uh, social media platforms and meet someone, and I call them the dream weavers because somehow or another they're able to elicit the information they need they find out what this person wants what their dreams are what they want to grow up to be and they feed it back to them they feed it back well i can do this and i can do that and if you do this we can do this um so it all and it goes over time it's definitely not that simple um, but it goes over a long period of time, a lot longer than people would actually think. So, again, it is crucial for parents to be aware of what platforms your kids are on. What apps do they have on their phones? What are they doing? Um, keep those lines of communication open as much as you can. I know, I know from experience teenagers are just... <laughs> I mean, they're very, very difficult to deal with, and they don't tell you things. I mean, that's just the nature of the beast. Um, but this is what's happening out there. It's, Of course, you know, the kids that are, are maybe getting into drugs or experimenting with alcohol, and they have, they're having a rough time at home, and they think, you know, oh, life would be better if I just leave. And this does happen. And so, of course, where are they going to go? They're going to go to the street, whether they're already streetwise or not. But, I mean, who's going to pick them up? 
It's going to be that person that wants to weave the dream. I can make you feel better. I can do this. I can do that. And so they're, they're weaving those dreams. They're telling them what they want to hear, and they fall into it every time. And it's so sad. It is. And, uh, you know, you mentioned, uh, you know, about parents and the importance of, of parents keeping track of what their kids are up to as far as the social media and the apps apps they're dealing with and all that stuff because uh, certainly that can be an indicator that there may be problems ahead and uh, the parent can intervene and, and, and maybe correct things before they get out of hand and they end up having to call uh, Q, uh, you know, and involve the police and so on. So, yeah, that's clearly very, very important. And I, I think as far as human trafficking, uh, that's probably worthy of us doing a show on in itself because that's, as you said, quite a topic and uh, has really exploded. Yeah, it it would definitely make a good show um, for the listeners because we're still, even after all of these years in the issue, human trafficking has just now really come into light and people in the public are understanding it. But yet it's again, it's just like missing persons. It's not happening to me. It's not happening to my child. It's that kid over there. And so we, as humans, we just tend to put our head in the sand and think it never could happen to me until it does or to someone that, you know, and then, you know, you're looking at things from a totally, totally different perspective. And one thing, you know, I'll tell listeners and especially parents out there, keep a list of all the apps that your kids are using. Keep a, If you can get that information, if you can get their passwords, if you can at least get a list of what they're doing online or on their phones, because that's going to be one of the first places we look because that's where all the information is that's how kids communicate now yeah very important and you know i i don't think that can be stressed enough um you know the importance of of the parents being involved and paying attention to what's going on with their children because it leads to all kinds of, of issues if, you know, if they're not uh, diligent and, uh, and keep up, uh, keep up with what the kids are up to. Um, back to a uh, cue for a minute uh, from the, from the registration standpoint. Uh, so you, how, if somebody goes missing and the, the family is uh, reports to the police, um, the police uh, may suggest to them, depending on what agency it is, but the police may suggest to them that they call Q or contact Q for the case. Um, other than that, how would do you think a lot of families, if, 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 say, the police don't encourage them to call or contact Q, uh, do you think some would do it on their own, or would they just assume the police were handling everything and that they don't need any additional help and and not bother to research it or to, to see if there's someone else they should get a hold of? Yeah, that happens a lot. It does. And there's, there's a lot of missing persons cases that the, you know, the police department can handle on their own. And usually, you know, it depends on the agency because some of them have no clue who we are. 
I mean, yeah, we're we're nationally known and we work all over the country, but not every police department knows knows how to work with Q or you know knows to encourage people to call us. Um, so again, it's a matter of of us doing our job and and getting the word out that we're here. And again, social media has helped in that a lot. So of course, we're getting record number of, of cases coming in to work. So you know, unfortunately. It it doesn't seem to run out, and again, that's very unfortunate that we have this situation in our country, but it's always been there. It always will be there, and these people are always going to need help. Uh, Dee, we're just about out of time. Uh, before we before we close the show, uh, again, if somebody wants to volunteer to register a case or perhaps to contribute to make a donation to Q, uh, would you give us again the uh, website address? Certainly. It's NC, North, like, like North Carolina, NC, missing persons with an S, dot org. NC, missing persons, dot org. And everything is there. Um, there's a, a donate button right on the front of the uh, of the website. There's also a place if you want to become a volunteer that you can um, apply to do that. You know, not everybody's fit for this. So there is an application process and, uh, you know, we do require it for our volunteers. But I, I just can't speak highly enough about this organization and what they've done over the 20 the some years that they've been around. It, it's just absolutely amazing. Okay, and unfortunately, Dee, we have run out of time. Uh, uh, thank you so much for sharing uh, your experiences and knowledge of Q with us. And to our listeners, thanks for listening. And until next time, stay safe, and we'll see you in the next edition of CrimeWire. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. When I listen to Audible, I'm not flying to my third sales meeting this month. I'm on a romantic date with my vampire boyfriend, Pierre. That pale skin, those dark, mysterious eyes, and those pointy teeth. Take me away, Pierre. Ma'am. I want to become queen of the night. Ma'am. Something to drink? Water, please. Go to audible.com slash start trial, and your first download is free. Audible. Stories that surround you.